All right. Good morning. You made it. Time change, service time change, and then a lot of our church is single, so they're gone on the retreat. We have no band, except we brought in Zach, which was great. Thank you, Zach and Kathleen. So, so um, I don't mean to imply that all bands are single people, but it is the case with ours. Um, but Zach, actually a little history, Zach was in my youth group when I was a youth pastor, so a long history there, so it's good to see him doing what he's doing. And uh, he works, volu- is it, are you on volunteer staff? Is that what it's called? That's a terrible, that's a, that's a hook. Yeah, he's on, a, he's on, he's on staff at a church in uh, McDonough, Georgia, down in Henry County. So anyway, thanks for coming up and doing that for us. Uh, and thanks for Katie and Jeff. Delp, if you're new with us, we do this big offering every year called Beyond Sunday, and it's where we take up a lot of money, and then we just give it all away to missionaries and justice workers here in our city and around the world, and that's coming up in two weeks. And uh, actually, Gary's home from Haiti as well. His wife spoke a couple weeks ago, Rihanna, so uh, that's great to see them, one of our supported missionaries there as well. So just exciting stuff. Um, so we're now three Sundays away, and at least the weather's starting to crack, but we're three Sundays away from the Advent season, which takes us to Christmas, which I can't believe I'm saying, uh, which is the start of the Christian year, if you're familiar with that. And, uh, and so in these few dead space weekends, right before Advent started, we wanted to take some time and to talk about some things, really five different things that are really important to us as a church family, a kind of vision and values uh, teaching set. Now, none of the five things that we're talking about are unique to us or any church, really. They're just all pulled straight from the storyline of the Bible, but also uh, from the components that make up a life that follows Christ. If you're apprenticing and following Jesus, these are just things that come with that, both as individuals and as a church family, because we also do that as a church family. And the first two Sundays of the set, we looked at, uh, or the first Sunday in the set, we looked at this thing called generosity. Not our personal generosity, like, hey, we need you to give. I mean, that's great if you want to, please do. But it was about our collective generosity as a church that we are a generous organization trying our best to give to mission and justice work here in the city and around the world. And then last Sunday, we talked about Journey, not the band, although a little bit. We talked about the band a little bit. Um, <laughs> that we're all on a path to find and connect or even reconnect. That's kind of the loop, isn't it, to God, finding our way back to God over and over and over again, and that our church, we want to make sure we protect it as a place that's safe to find your way back to God over and over and over again. Today, we're going to reflect on this word, and the word is community. Say the word community. Now, when the New Testament writers talk about this idea, um, they don't really use this word. It's a word we use, but they use a different word, and the word is uh, the word fellowship. Uh, Anybody familiar with the word fellowship? If you grew up in church, of course you're familiar. The fellowship hall right? There's the, there's the fellowship dinner. It's, part, it's one of the three F words of the church life. It's food, fun, and fellowship, right? If you want, we want you to come and be a part of our church. Like, that's the way it always is on every flyer. Hey, don't be late. Come early for donuts and fellowship. Uh, and again, if we, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of fellowship halls. I would give my right arm at this point for a fellowship hall. But <laughs> But that's what it is, right? It's the thing down the hall that has the sign above the door that says fellowship hall. If we're going to fellowship, you've got to go in there. You've got <laughs> you to make your way into there. And that usually means food, which I think is actually quite biblical. But uh, that's what we do. Fellowship has become very spatial. It's kind of a place that we go or a thing that we 
uh, do, there's a behavior aspect to it where, oh, we're fellowshipping. Are we fellowshipping? Like we make you shake hands and stuff. We know that's awkward, but it's just what we do. Um, but is that fellowshipping or whatever? But the, this, is what the word, this is the word that the, the writers of the New Testament use, and they talk about community. Now, the word they actually use is the Greek word koinonia. Say that. Koinonia is a fantastic word. The root, it roots down to this word called koinos, which means common. A better definition, a stronger, fuller definition is that uh, it's a shared common life, which is interesting because the church is anything but a group of people that have too much in common. The only thing we all really have in common, what's central to this gathering today is simply the gathering. Everybody has a different story, a different background, a different journey. Um, so the word koinonia is this very interesting word. Some historians say that it's actually a word that was made up to describe what was going on in the church families in the early centuries, in the early decades of the Christian community. So community, fellowship, koinonia, these are all words that cast a picture of people with whom you feel a real sense of belonging, commonality, like you've been uh, invited. That's key. I feel like I've been invited, uh, like you're supposed to be here. This is what this word means, but also on the deeper level that there's a sense of shared, a shared common life together. And I think the mission of community is visibility. I think the mission of community is visibility. Normally when a pastor says, I'm going to talk about community, the congregation thinks, He's going to ask us to sign up for a small group. But the truth is I'm not doing that today because it's not, it's not that important today. Actually, we started the year with some 75% of our church family in small groups. That's pretty high, so we just put that to rest. This isn't about joining a small group, so you can unclench or whatever it is you're doing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I want to talk about what I see as the mission of biblical community, community, and that is the word visibility. When the writers of the New Testament talk about community, they were always focused on two things. One was, and we're getting historical here, they were talking about the new social diversity that was taking place in the church. There was a social structure that was changing because of Christianity, early Christianity. People who normally wouldn't be together in worship settings or at dinner settings were now together in church settings, and so that was very different. So they're describing what's happening, a diversity that was taking place in the church. But secondly, they're also talking about the ability to see and meet the needs of people in the church family, but also in the community. So this word community is all bound up in this new thing that's taking place where people who wouldn't normally associate with each other are now worshiping together and doing life together. So there's that. But then there's also this component about it's gaining the ability to see other people and their needs and to recognize those and to serve them uh, as best you can. And the mission of community, if you bound all those together, is a greater visibility. Community is what happens when we no longer see someone as, quote, other, because there's always the others. There's those people, those people, those people, other. They're other than me. Community is what happens when we no longer see someone as other, but instead we see them as one of. That's the transition. I move from other to one of. And if community is not a value in the church, then people tend to become invisible. People become uh, unseen. This, uh, I think I've told this story, it's been years I've told this story before, it's just a real quick riff, but 
we were doing the greeting when our church was uptown. We had this stage that was so tall. And um, anyway, that has nothing to do with the story. But <laughs> anyway, the, people were doing the greeting as you were doing. And literally, like, it, we did the greeting back then right before the message. It was our, it was our like, um, our buffer, you know. Pastors coming up. That's why, because the stage was so big, I had to climb. And we needed space and time. So people were doing the greeting, and I'm literally putting my notes on the thing, and this guy comes up to me at the end of the stage, and I go down front, and, you know, because I know he wants to talk, and people are greeting. And my mic is not on yet, but it's there. And he says to me, I reach out, and I shake his hand, and he says, you make me feel invisible. Which I felt bad saying, now's not a good time. (laughs) This is really bad timing. What was your name? No, I'm just kidding. I, just said <laughs> I knew his name. Uh, that was a really scary thing because he was kind of a scary guy. And uh, I didn't know what he meant by that. And I, I definitely knew who he was. But in his mind, he felt like he was unseen. He felt like he wasn't, uh, he didn't belong. And somehow that was on me. And so he came up to me and said, it's you. I think he was speaking to our church family through me, but he was saying, this place makes me feel invisible. And that has always stuck with me, because that's not the point. And that's going to happen in every church setting, in every setting where there are people, that's going to happen. That's, there's no airtight way to make everybody feel visible, but we can at least elevate the value and say as a community of people this morning and hereafter that we will do our best to protect that that never happens to make sure that that never happens uh, with you or anybody. But, and I find, too, that when people leave the church, it's rarely over beliefs, but it's almost always over belonging or invisibility. Like, no one has ever said, and I've been a pastor for 20 years, no one has ever said, I hate all these people, but I really dig their statement of faith, so I'm going to hang in there. Like, that never happens. It's always, I don't feel like I belong. Now, the other side of that is also true, that our beliefs and faith, they tend to grow and flourish when we are noticed and embraced by others in the church family. So that, that's just an added thing there. Now, being invisible at church is about the lowest thing you can be. Because invisibility is already a difficult reality in our world. Just take the church out of it, We live in a world where people can feel as though they they wouldn't be missed if they were gone or that they would be looked over. Uh, But to be invisible at church just kind of goes against the very very calling of what it's supposed to be. So this is one of those things where, I said this a couple weeks ago about the church, this is one of those things where the church can simply try its best to be the better place in the world. Whether or not the church actually has what it takes to make the world a better place is left to be seen. It's been around 2,000 years, and it's very difficult to determine whether or not the church actually has the resources and the wherewithal to, in fact, make the world a better place. That's up for debate. It doesn't mean we don't try. We, of course we try. But what it does have, and it, I see this as its calling as well, is to be the better place, to just be the better place where we come and we, for a moment, it's different 
than the world in which we all live. So when we talk about community, we're, we're talking about the value that no one is invisible. And the text I want to use today comes from Galatians uh, chapter 3, verse 28. Just a very short riff. It's a very explosive text. It's a very intriguing statement that is made in this letter. Uh, just some background, by the way. This text is taken from a letter that a person named Paul wrote to a church in the city of Galatia, the middle of the first century. It's kind of a theological coaching letter uh, to a young church finding their way. Usually when Paul wrote a letter to a church, it means the church was kind of jacked up. There's never a letter Paul sends to a church and he's like, just wanted to send a letter and tell you guys are amazing. There's always something wrong with the congregation. So if the church secretary came in and goes, hey, we got a letter from Paul, the pastor thinks, wonderful, you know, <laughs> wonderful. So this, you can just assume when you open a letter and it's from Paul, it, there's going to be some things that he needs to correct, a lot of course correction that he's talking about in the letter. But in this case, the people in the Galatian church were struggling with whether or not, there's a lot of struggles going on, but whether or not um, they had to become Jewish in order to remain Christian. It's this very odd sort of first century problem. Um, and so a lot of people were coming in and frightening the Galatian church saying, oh, listen, you've got to do all these Jewish traditions before you can be accepted into the family of Jesus. So there's this kind of weird thing going on in the background. So Paul gets in there and starts talking to them about this. And one of the things that's taking place is there's a great diversity in this church, both of race, of culture, of gender. And so Paul addresses that too. And that's going to happen when the church says we embrace everybody. Now, in this section... In this one verse, we run into a classic thing where Paul casts this kind of new image of a new kind of humanity and social structure that's found in the church. Check this out. It's on the screen. Uh, you can follow along here. But in verse 28, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's read that together now that you've heard it. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now again, this sits in a context. It's not just a one-off. But you can kind of get the gist here that Paul is throwing this radical idea out that in Christ, all of these divisions between social structures, class structures, gender structures are not important. This is about division not distinction. I don't want anybody to, to think that uh, you're no longer female or male or you're no longer Jewish or Greek. Uh, I, I assume there's only a few of you in here that fit into that category. You're no longer a slave nor free. It's, 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 he's not saying that these distinctions go away, but he's talking about these divisions. They go away. That in the family of Jesus, these divisions no longer hold power. So this is a very radical idea in the first century. What you see here too, Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, these are uh, three typical social divisions in the first century. Um, so it's very simple. The very simple structure of, or a list of the different social structures that we find in the first century. You could add children in there as well. They were seen as low as any other uh, part of this list too. But the way of Jesus has a radical sense of there's a radical social implication that takes place 
um, where the old dividing lines are moved. And again, Paul hits on the three social divisions in the first century. The first one, as you can see, he talks about the cultural division. He uses Jew and Greek, but you can just throw in all kinds of different cultures. He's addressing this particular culture, saying, we know that this is typically a dividing line between people. Jews and Greeks, Romans and Jews, I mean, the list goes on. Um, And so he hits on this saying, those things no longer matter within the story of the gospel. Why does he have to say this? He says this because that is taking place in that church family, that Jews and Greeks and who knows how many other types of people are coming in to worship services. He also talks about the class division, slave or free. Now, Paul has these later uh, statements about slavery, which you can read as precursors to abolition. Um, And so there's some great stuff in Paul's letters about encouraging slave owners to set their slaves free because this is not the way of Jesus. It is not what God has in mind. But just in this one verse, he's just saying, when you enter this space for worship, those divisions are no longer present. And then the gender division. And I know this for us, it's like, what do you mean? This is such a strange male-female. We have women elders here. We let women preach here. Whatever. Let's just be honest. Women run the church anyway. I mean, if, if it weren't for the women, there would be no church. I mean, it would just be a band. <laughs> I mean, right? It's just sort of a hats off to the women. Like, if it wasn't for y'all, um, we would all be sunk. Okay. But, but the truth is, in the first century, it would be very rare in any religious worship setting for male and female to even be in the same room. So that's always an interesting visual if you think just historically it's not easy for us to think that because things are so different now but in that culture none of these pairings would be together and so Paul just says and I'm just paraphrasing here of course but Paul just says when you hold church those things you have to leave those things at the door that we are all one in Christ now in all three of these social realms cultural class gender there lives a real risk of invisibility, and that's what he's getting at. Jews don't see Greeks, Greeks don't see Jews, slave masters don't see slaves, male never saw female. If you add children in the mix, or if we just upgrade the list, you just throw in whatever cultural group feels invisible. All of these pairings have the risk of invisibility, of living unseen and off the radar to those around you. Now, some of the early Christian communities were so diverse culturally, class-wise and in gender, that Paul had to offer some kind of coaching on how to navigate this. But we still struggle with this. Martin Luther King famously said that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in the nation. Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, although we're now at 10 o'clock, is the most segregated hour in the nation. And that still holds true Uh, so many years later. But it's not just in color, it's in all areas because we sort. We're people who like to sort with people like us and we ignore the rest. The others are not yet one of. That's a very difficult transition for us in humanity is to make the other part of or one of. And Paul's just saying here, the church is supposed to be different. It's all kinds of people coming into this room from all kinds of different 
and storied backgrounds and journeys. And God is simply asking us to ensure that no one is invisible, that everyone feels genuine, a genuine sense of belonging and community, that nobody feels other. And part of the reason Paul even puts the list in there is he's just trying to say there's not multiple heavens. Like there's just one heaven. So it's just good that we practice doing life together as a new kind of humanity because there's not separate heavens for separate kinds of people. It's just one universe that God is restoring and that includes all of us, amen? So church is just a place to practice. We talking about practice, all right? That's what it is. It's just we practice. Thank you. Uh, We practice a new and different kind of humanity where people aren't projects to be remolded into the system, uh, but are instead people to be seen and understood and embraced as God's sons and daughters, period. We get to practice that. If only for an hour a week, we get to practice a new humanity where we can look around the room and go, I have nothing in common with you. You're way more educated than me. You're less educated than me. Uh, You're more interested in that. I could care less. You come from a different state. Uh, You come from a different country. Whatever the case may be, we get to practice what it means to somehow find common ground and a shared common life together. Uh, My first two of, uh, of Scott McKnight quotes, great theologian and scholar. The revolution God creates in the church begins or ends with this first step. Either we embrace that God's yes is for all or we don't. This is a radical idea. Either God has said yes to the whole world or he hasn't. And the first step in joining the revolution that God is doing in the church family is to agree that God's yes is for all people or not to. That has major implications on how we function as a church family. And when the writers of the New Testament talk about community and fellowship, they're talking about this intimate unity within diverse settings. Again, where people are noticed and embraced, where there is a warmth factor to the congregation. And my second Scott McKnight quote is, uh, the success of a church is first determined by how many invisible people become visible to those not like them. I would say the unsuccess of a church is when it all feels the same. And that's just a natural human tendency. It's, it's slower and harder to grow a church where people are different, where there's a diversity of life, of thought, of faith, of understanding. It's harder. It's slower. It's so much easier to say, We're going to be like this. And then you just put the sign up. But what McKnight is saying here is it's about as best we can tell when we study what it means to be a fellowship, a community of people, it's about decreasing the invisibility factor that people don't feel invisible. So in conclusion, (laughs) that's how you end a sermon, right? In conclusion, let me just say a few things. Number one, This place has always made me proud in 10 years. I've been here almost 10 years, wow. Uh, In its ability to meld and mix and adjust, always. We've been in so many locations, um, but it's always made me proud in that regard. Number two is that we live in a city of all kinds of people, and we have this divine opportunity to see how messy 
and uncomfortable we can make this place. Real quiet there. Okay. <laughs> but some of you inside screamed, amen, because that's me, right? We have an opportunity, a divine opportunity, to see how messy we can make this place. Number three, I can't tell you how many times people text me or call me and ask if it's okay if they bring a certain kind of person with them to this church. It always makes me laugh on the other end. If you send me that text, I'm not laughing at you. I'm just like, of course. Like, the tomb is empty. (laughs) Bring anybody. Like, that's a good story for anybody to hear. The other way around is true, too. Like, the people who reject my invites based on whatever it is that they see that is wrong with them, just, again, I just kind of laugh. I laugh and I cry because I, I cry because that's obviously the message they've been given. I can't come to church because of this, this, or this. Their lifestyle or their spiritual poverty or their inability to function in a religious setting, I don't know. They've been handed that at some point and it makes them say, no, it's okay. I wouldn't fit in there. I think I would just, if I went, I think I would just be the other in the room. And I always try to tell people, actually, I know my church pretty well. It's just a bunch of others. It's just a bunch of outsiders somehow making a family that you would fit in. And as I said last Sunday, our job is simply to put out more chairs at God's table because God's throwing a banquet for the whole universe. And the job of the church is just to keep putting chairs out. That's all it is. Keep inviting people to the party. Keep inviting people to hear the story of the great grace and mercy and the restorative power of the gospel. Come and sit and taste what is good about that. That's the job of the church to set chairs out and more chairs out, keep increasing the table size and letting people get there. And so this message as we close is just simply to say, help us get there. Help us become a place um, where all people feel visible. Community is what happens when the other becomes one of. That's really all I want to leave you with. When the other becomes one of. Now, I want to set up communion because communion is, uh, as we take that each week anyway, it's a wonderful opportunity to talk about or to plug this in because communion, to take the bread and the juice, this practice that's been going on since the beginning of the church in history, uh, where we take the bread and the juice, and it reminds us of Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, and the promise of his return. Um, But it is also something that we do together. It's communion. It's this group common. We do it together as a church family. And one of the great visuals of communion for me are the lines when you line up to take communion. And I like to say it this way, that when we line up for communion, the world is flat at that point. We're all standing in the same line to take the same bread and the same juice. And it reminds us that Uh, that Christ has come for us all. But it's also to line up for communion is also an admission that we need Christ. The world is flat in the lines to communion. We are all the same. We are all loved by God, cherished by God. And it reminds us as a church family that that's what it's about. That even if just for an hour you can come in here and be reminded that you are loved, that God loves you, that we love you, we will try to love you. Even if you're unlovable, we will try to love you. Uh, That's what we're reminded of in these moments. 
And so today, if you'll stand, I want to pray a couple of prayers together. These will be on the screen. We always pray the Lord's Prayer before communion, but I want to pray us to pray these words as well uh, from the Book of Common Prayer on the unity of the church. And these words in this prayer are so beautiful. We'll pray this, and then we'll end it with the Lord's Prayer. And then you can make your way to one of the two stations. We'll have a station over here and a station over here for communion. Uh, and then after that, you can, we'll sing out one more song together. Let's pray these words together. Almighty Father, whose blessed Son before His passion prayed for His disciples that they might be one as You and He are one. Grant that Your church, being bound together in love and obedience to You, may be united in one body by the one Spirit, that the world may believe in Him whom You have sent, Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with You in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And before we take communion, we pray as the Lord taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.